excited to be here with you guys this morning and to share this word. I think God is doing some amazing things through this One Harvest Sermon series. As you know, we're going to dive right into it. Last week, Pastor Andrew, uh, is, you know, he's speaking in, in, in Locust today, as you heard on the video. Um, but last week, he kicked things off with this, with this message titled, So, and, and, and he talked about the importance of, of where we put our trust and our money and how that, how, how that could be difficult uh, for some people, especially nowadays in the church where the, the, the topic of money comes up and everybody already like cringes, you know, like, oh no, not my wallet, you know. Um, but, but he broke that down in, in, in the importance of, of, of what that is. And today's sermon is going to be titled, Serve. We're going to be talking about serving. Um, and, and here's the idea. We, we've come to the conclusion that in a lot of times, when, when we're looking at our church life, we say, well, if, if, if I give financially, then, then I don't have to serve physically as much because I'm busy working. Or maybe if I can't give financially, then I'll work a little harder to make up for what I don't do financially. And frankly, the truth of that is that we're called to do both. Our call as believers is to both give financially and to serve in the kingdom of God in one way or the other. Now, the idea was never do one or the other. It has always been to serve and to give and to be part of it all. Because part of our service is our giving. However, in the church, we've drawn this line that somehow we've told ourselves that there could be a line drawn between the people who work really hard and work those tough hours and, you know, they, they, they really can't because they're, they're doing a job. And you may be sitting here and saying, I don't agree, and, and I agree, you shouldn't agree with that. But there is this weird, unwritten rule that we put in place that just says, these people can do it, these people can't, and, and so on and so on. And I, I get it. It's difficult trusting the church with your money. But what, what is more difficult is that giving others access to something that is so valuable to us like money, I think it even gets worse when we talk about our time in serving. A lot of us will sit here today and say, Moises, I can't make more of this time. I can't go buy more. I can't go lease more time. What I got is what I got. It is the most valuable thing all of us here in the room have. After Jesus and God and all those things, right? But it is one of those things that is extremely valuable to us. And it's so hard to even hear the word serving without hearing that paired up with the word time. So we have this PTSD. Hey, you want to do something for the church? No. We, we, we're, we're, no, 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 I can't, I can't, I can't. You don't even think of the reason why you can't. You just know you can't do it. You don't even know why. But hey, you want to do something? You want to serve in this ministry? I can't. Why? I don't know. I just know I can't. And, and we have this tendency. But can I tell you this morning that it is not that simple. All of us are called to this. The scripture is full of verses that talk about our responsibility to serve God and other people. To the point where it uses Jesus as our example. Saying, hey, you're too busy. You don't have enough time. You can't. Well, watch this. Matthew 20, 28 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So when it comes to serving, no one is exempt. 
we almost come to the understanding that God is not asking us to do too much. Instead, he is calling us to partake in a purpose-filled future. Look at the person next to you, and I know this is something people used to do, but you guys aren't saying anything to me, so I'm going to make you interact with one another. If you have your spouse next to you, you're going to love this part. All right? You're going to look at that person in the eyes, lock eyes with them right now. Well, it fits weird, don't do it, but. And say to that person, it's not him, it's you. Some, some spouses have been waiting all week to say that, you know. It's you, you, it's you. Um, you, you, may, you may be looking at me saying, Moises, but you don't understand. I really, really, really don't have any time. I don't have time. And I, I, I like the way a pastor puts it. He says, you have time for what you choose to have time for. The basis of, of that idea is that we all start our day with 24 hours in it. Am I right? You woke up and you had the same 24 hours I did. I don't get 32 and you get 34, uh, 24. No, we all start our day with 24 hours. How we spent those 24 hours is by making one decision after the next and after the next. So you're using your time for something. Now, with a show of hands, show me who likes to be busy all the time. There's a few out there, you know. What if I told you that the solution to your problem is not more time? I've come to the idea that somehow we have become addicted to being busy. You don't see it this way, but we literally are professional time slot fillers. That's why cell phones have become so popular. Because even if you're watching TV, okay, and you got your cell phone next to you, when the commercial comes up, what do you do? Pumps, time slot, fill it. Right? So it, you're watching the game. Time out. Two-minute warning. Cell phone, time slot. You're watching the show with your spouse, and it gets a little bit, you know, the show gets a little bit slow. Time slot, we fill it. We become professional fillers of time. We're addicted to being busy. It, it, it has become almost impossible to, for us to get away from this busy mindset because we don't have to do something. Our, our first instinct is to fill the time slot. I'm telling you, you know how energetic I am, right? Like, I'm like sitting there and I'm like, Ugh. I'm like, I'm nervous. I'm, I, I don't know what's wrong with me. Pray for me. Okay, I'm, I'm like this all the time. I don't stay still. I'm, that's just how I've been since I was little. Thank you, God, for making me this way. <laughs> so, but when my wife tells me, when my wife says to me, boys, they, they've canceled. We don't have to go to dinner. Or, or we no longer have this thing going on. That, that's not happening. It's going to rain or whatever. Something happened. It's like I opened this super long filing cabinet. And my mind just starts going through files like, what can I do next? What can I do next? How can I fill this slot? I, need, I wanted to fix the outlet. I want to go to this. We should leaf blow. And we should, I should wash the cars. And I just constantly have this intention about filling the slot. Why is that? Why is it that we're so prone to wanting to be busy? You say, I don't want to be busy. Then why do you fill the slot? What happens 
is that there was a survey from Microsoft found that 77% of adults said yes when asked, when nothing occupying my attention, the first thing I do is reach for my phone. 77% of people, when they're bored, not doing anything, they just reach out for their phone. You're like, ah, oh, that, that's not me, Moises. So, taking this principle that is not so much about what we have going on or what we have to do, because that's what I like to say. I have to do this. But I have to do this. I can't avoid doing this. When we take that principle and apply it, there is something about us that pushes us to fill that slot. And changing that is more challenging than we think. One of the things that I've grown to admire about my parents is that they don't, they're cool. They're like, at first, when I was younger, okay, and, and, and my parents didn't want to do something, and we're, we're out on vacation, I was like, oh, this is so lame. We should go out, walk, get tired. <laughs> Two weeks ago, I go to the mountains with my parents, and I must be getting old because I'm eating it up, man. I'm loving it. My dad's like, I'm not going. I'm going to stay right here. And I'm like, that's weird, but I love it. You know, I came back home. You know how you say you need a vacation from your vacation? This wasn't the case. I was rested. I loved it. And my dad makes time for those things that he wants to make time for, those things that matter most. I've told you guys before that it impressed me a lot, not so much that my dad would teach me how to pray, but I would see him praying. And that had an impact in my life. He wouldn't say, Moises, you need to pray more. He would tell me I should pray. But what impacted me the most is when I would come out of my room and he was just praying there. That spoke a lot for my life. Well, guess what happened? I'm waking up in the morning with Bash. And at 6 o'clock in the morning, there's my dad, the weirdo, in the living room, on his knees, praying, making time for what mattered most. My, my son looks at me and says, Moises. Oh, no, he doesn't say Moises. He wouldn't say that. It was more like, Papa, you know. Um, so he says, he says, Daddy, so my Bash looks at me and says, what's he doing? I said, he's praying. And he says, why? And it gives me this opportunity to talk to him. You know, teaches me a lesson that maybe I need to start doing the same thing. Like, I was waiting for him to say next, why don't you do that, you know, when I wake up in the morning? But, but it, is, it is a concept of making time for what matters most to us. We say we have no time. And what, nothing is stopping us from waking up earlier, from, from, from not spending that much time doing that and doing this. But one of the things that I've come to the realization is, when it comes to these things that we have to do, that we tell ourselves, to avoid these things, we must, bet, we must first be content with the idea and not afraid of doing nothing. You may not think this is a challenging thing for you, but when was the last time you just sat there? Just sat there. You're like, I do it all the time. Well, good for you. But why is it so intimidating? Why, why is it so difficult for us just to sit? So challenging. We, we have become addicted to being busy. We despise it, but we fill the slot, and we fill the slot, and we fill the slot. You're like, I don't want to be like this. 
And one of the things that, that shocks me the most is that these distractions of being busy tend to have this effect on us that keep us away from dealing with the things that we need to deal with. In other words, it's really loud all the time so we can't hear our issues and deal with them. It, it has this idea that people are afraid of silence simply because it causes them to deal with themselves. And that could be a scary thing. I, I, I love using this principle across the idea of, of um, self-righteous people. Because self-righteous people, the, the truth about self-righteous people is, 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 is that I first think about them, when was the last time you were in the presence of God? Because self-righteous people uh, point out the sin of other people. But the truth is that you can only be self-righteous when you're comparing yourself to other people. When in the presence of God, the only sin that exists is yourself. So it is important for us to isolate ourselves and understand that there's a concept here that we may be addicted to a lifestyle that's keeping us away from dealing with the real problems personally that we have. I'm sorry that I'm yelling. I'm just, this is, this is ground zero for me. Michael Zigarelli from the Charleston Southern University of School of Business conducted an obstacles growth survey of over 20,000 Christians in the globe who identified busyness as a major distraction from spiritual life. Here's the hypothesis he came up with. He said, it may be the case, number one, that Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. He said, which leads to number two, God becoming more marginalized in Christian lives, which leads to number three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to number four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live life, which leads to number five, the last one, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. And the cycle repeats itself and repeats itself and repeats itself. We are, caught, we are caught in this repetitive cycle where we don't even know how it's happening to us, but we're the first ones filling the slot. And we never have problems. We never have time for anything. But my problem is in this, Moises... I just don't have time. And we all have time for what we make time for. All of us spend our 24 hours on something. That, my friends, is a choice. The reason why most of us don't have time is because we don't spend the time that we need to doing the things that matters most. In fact, we actually spend the time doing the things that don't matter so much. I'll give you three examples. Social media. The average person spends 706 hours a year on social media. You know what the good thing is about this room? Is that we're all overachievers. So we're not average. That's not the good news. A normal workday is about eight hours. If you divide that by the months, it adds up to about four, four and a half working months of the year. You have time for what you choose to have time for. Television, 2,700, over 2,700 hours spent on television, binge-watching your favorite show. This is equivalent to three months of the year. 
you have time for what you choose to have time for. Video games. Any video gamers in the room? Yep, there's the hands. I'm one of them. I like video games a lot. Why is it that men like video games so much and women don't? We'll talk about that another day. <laughs> it says that the, the average guy by age 21 has played 10,000 hours of video games. 10,000 hours, that's $100,000 if you get paid $10 an hour. You can make 100 grand. You can probably memorize the entire New Testament. You can read probably about 2,000 books. You could, you could get your undergraduate degree, your graduate degree. I mean, you, you name it. You get your pilot's license. I mean, you have time for what you choose to have time for. So my question to you is, if we all have 24 hours, and using those 24 hours is a choice, what is keeping us away from serving God? The, 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 the sad news about all this is that we're all sitting here today, and, and there's still some of you thinking after all these things, and there's more to come. You're telling yourself, after all the explanations, Moises, you don't understand. I'm busy. I'm really busy. And I'm telling you, that's what I just said. You are busy. But you're only busy because of your own doing. If we're ever trying to model a life of service to God, then, then that really should start with how Jesus lived. You may think you were busy, you got too much going on, but it, when trying to determine what the ideal life would look like for us, taking this platform of Jesus and building around it breaks down this way. He did ministry for three years. Three years. He embraced the Father's mission. He recruited 12 heavenly disciples. He, he, he endured the hatred of the Pharisees. He, he dealt with the temptations of the devil. He healed all sorts of sick people and loved all sorts of hurting people. He worked for God tirelessly and preached his word. And he fulfilled 351 Old Testament prophecies. And what we don't see Jesus ever doing is running anywhere. The Bible says he walked and he walked and he walked. You're like, how? In fact, when things were really difficult and they came up to him and said, this person is dying, go, please go. He gets on a donkey. You know that wasn't fast. But there's this sense that, that we tell ourselves that my circumstances and what I have going on needs me to go this fast. It needs me to push this fast. And we, and we forget that, that we're not only to believe the way Jesus believed, but also to live as he lived. He did so many things in 33 years of his life where he was called to save a world and be perfect. His mission didn't start till he, he was 30. And then when he was 30, he was commissioned and baptized to start the work of God. He rested in between times, walked, was able to do it right before God. And was more productive than you and, ever, you and, you and I have ever been. 
But somehow we have found a way. It is so important for us to grasp this, right? We, we may be thinking you're, you're doing so much in life and you're like, Moises, but I'm checking things off the list left and right. You don't understand. In five years, come and see me. But the reality is when we value those things, we're probably hardly doing anything. I'm not knocking on what you're doing. I'm just coming after the idea that you're always busy and you never have time for anything. When God has called us all to work, to serve, to be part of the kingdom, that that's not somebody else's job, that's our job. We're the front line of the, the first line of defense in this kingdom. We have the people right in front of us. What do you do? You see people in need right in front of you and you say, that's why I give to the church. Somebody will get you, you know? No, you're there in front of the need. And God is calling us to step in that and be part of the solution in that moment. Trust me, I, I dealt with this personally. We're doing so much, and you're like, but I'm accomplishing so much, then why do you feel so exhausted and tired and overwhelmed? I deal with this myself. Look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm a go-getter. That's what I do. I read this book uh, like two years ago called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and it, it changed my life by John Mark Homer. And one of the fascinating things about this book is that he made me realize as I was reading that every time I was rushing and running to something it was to become the person I didn't want to be I was speeding I was late I was trying to get there I was trying to meet the demands of something I didn't even want to be in the first place you know I'm a first generation hunter in my family I know I don't look like it I picked it up a few years ago, all right, about four years ago. I've, I've gotten two does. Um, never gotten a buck before. I know. I'm trying. All right. Bear with me. Um, I was going to put a picture up, but I thought it would be too disturbing. Um, I didn't think it was the right place. So, <laughs> so I, I started hunting. And, and, you know, one of the things I love about hunting is, 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 is the thing that people probably dislike about hunting the most is that it forces me to stop and be in a deer stand between three to five hours without moving you're like sounds great man <laughs> but I love it I love sitting there and just like forcing myself to get up early in the morning gotta be there before sunrise sit there it's cold I don't fall asleep sitting I'm just I, you're not going to catch me ah, like snoring in the field. No. I literally have to sit there and I just look. You can look at your phone, but you're going to miss the action, if any. The other day I sat there for five hours and nothing happened. I think a deer smelled me because I could hear him behind me. Right? The first time, one of the first times I went hunting, I, what I would do is, listen, this is a, a learning progress, okay? a process for me. I, 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 would, I would get home and wash my clothes like, I thought, <laughs> I'm stinky. I got to wash my clothes, put it back on. I shower in the morning before I go. I, I do my whole process. I got out of my truck, and I was hunting with a buddy of mine, and he said, bro, whoa, downy boy. And he starts spraying me with deer pee. He's like, lift your boots up. I'm like, really? He's like, <laughs> like we can't leave a trail or anything like that. Anyways, I'm still learning. I'm, I'm going to get there. But one of the most amazing times I've had with God is when I'm sitting there 
Just talking to God. Not talking because you can't be loud, but you know what I mean. He knows what I'm saying. I'm sitting there just three, five hours. It doesn't matter what happens at that moment. I have to stay there and have that moment with God. You'll be surprised the amount of productivity you'll get by just giving God a little bit of your alone time. We think that our lives surrounds about what we do and what we do and how. Just give God some time. And I may be getting ahead of myself here. Sorry, I'm yelling. I'm just, you know. So look at your life this morning and ask yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? What's the end game? Why am I running there? What am I rushing to? So I wake up early in the morning and go at it. What are you going after? What's the end game? What's the purpose to that rush, to that busyness? Is the idea that someday you'll, you'll end up retiring, settling down, but it's just not the time yet. We got to get these things done. In Luke chapter 10, we see a story of two sisters, Martha and Mary. And it's, it's utilized a lot when it comes to comparing this kind of concept of busyness. And, you know, Jesus enters a village. Martha comes in, brings Jesus over to her home, his home. Uh, then Mary just falls to his feet to listen to his teaching. And the Bible says, while Martha was distracted with much serving... We, we, we got this confusion in our minds a lot of times where we think that if we're busy for God, then he's pleased with us. But in her distraction and busyness, she starts to cry out to Jesus in a way that you and I cry out to Jesus in prayer when things don't go the way we think they should go. In Luke chapter 10, verse 40, the bottom part of verse 40, it says, The Lord, Lord, don't you care? She says, that my sister has left me to do the work by myself. Tell her to help me. You're like, Martha, get over yourself. But it's the way our prayers sound. We go at it, go at it, go at it. Feel the slot, feel the slot, feel the slot. What's happening, God? Help me. And we end up praying the same style of prayer. Missing the entire idea of prayer. The goal of prayer is for us to reach God, not for God just to give us something. We get God during prayer, not just something from him. Anyone could go to God in 9-11 in, in moments of our lives. But following God in the best days allows for strength and favor in the worst times. Tell her to help me. She wasn't wrong for wanting to serve Jesus. It wasn't really the what, it was how she was doing it that was affecting her. Jesus goes on to say in verse 41 and 42, it says, But the Lord said to her, Dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Other translation says, but one thing is necessary. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Service to God is encouraged and essential. But we should first, our priority should be to love and be devoted to Jesus, expressing our time to him and showing him how we devote to him completely. There used to be this commercial, and I love the slogan. It used to say, is, is, is running your business getting in the way of running your business? And I, I thought it so fitting because it was, it was a business owner 
that would do these outlier things that would keep him away from doing the things a business owner should do to truly make an effect in his business. It's the same is true for us as believers. We take on the task to doing something and being efficient at something and being part of something and in the process of working for God, we miss out on the Lord's presence. So it's like running our business is getting in the way of running our business. We're missing out. And we wonder why we're not as effective as we used to be. And we wonder why we're not as passionate as we used to be. You say, well, Moises, what do I need to do? How do I fix this? I get it. I'm horrible, I'm horrible, I'm horrible. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I think it all starts not by getting better calendars and, and, and buying a new planner and being more efficient. It doesn't start by quitting everything either or deconstructing your faith. It starts by surrendering to him. It starts by really saying, God, I don't know, but here you go. Here's all of it. It's difficult because when we say the word surrender, it's a word that is typically used in a negative sense. It's what people do when they, when they can't fight anymore. It's what people do when they've been overcome by battle. It's what, it's what criminals do when they surrender to authorities. It's not something that is very popular in the culture today. Because today it's all about winning. Never give up. Be all you can be. But surrendering to God is not a passive resignation. It's not a sign of defeat. It's not an excuse for laziness. No, no, no. Surrendering to God is, is not accepting the status quo. It's saying, I'm giving my life and all my suffering to you in order to change what needs to be changed within my life. Listen, you don't have to listen to me. But the truth is that you will surrender to something or someone, whether you like it or not. If not God, you're going to end up surrendering to the opinions of other people, to the expectations of other people, to money, to resentment, to fear, to pride, to lust, to ego. Ego, sorry. It's the Spanish in me. And I want to tell you, you're, you're free to choose what you surrender to. But we're not free from the consequences of that choice. Surrendering to God is not the best way to live. It's the only way to live. It's the only way you'll be happy. When we give it all to God, our past regrets, our present problems, our future ambitions, all the things that we want from life, fears, dreams, weakness, it could be good or bad. You give it all to God and let him help you figure it out. Nothing under his control we fully trust will be ever out of control. That's what we put our hope in. This too is not just a one-time decision. It's an ongoing thing that affects our life daily. Paul said, I die daily. What is he dying to? He's dying to himself, to his wants and desires, his plans, the things that he can do, that he feels that he needs to do. I die daily. Paul, didn't you get it the first time? You have to die every day? Yes. There are moments of surrender, but there are, there are practices of surrender, which is a moment by moment for a lifetime of work. The Bible says to present ourselves as living sacrifices to God. 
You know what the problem with the living sacrifice is? That they tend to crawl away from the altar. From the source of need. That a living sacrifice, unlike a dead one, tends to have its own ideas. Its own desires. So it has to constantly tell itself, God, here I am. Here I am. I'm living, but I'm dead. I die every day to you, Lord. I'm surrendering fully. But our desperation, our anxiety kicks in. And we start crawling away from the only source that could help our lives. And then we wonder why life doesn't work. Why the faith that we're living is currently not enough. Well, we're called to something by God, but we have no time to fill it. You want your life to get out of this chaos, start by surrendering to God. Start by surrendering to God. God called me to leave the school I was going to, to just go into Bible seminary. I didn't want to do that, but I surrendered to him and did it and watched it all play out. You, you, you have these decision moments in life that require you to make a little bit of sacrifice for the one who's made the ultimate sacrifice to accomplish things that we can never even imagine we would accomplish. It says it like this, and this is not a word-by-word word translation, but, oh, I got to hurry up. Sorry, guys. You should have gave me a signal like, bro. Like, this is the message translation. It's more like a commentary, but it starts off like a commercial, really, to be honest. All right? Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30. It says, are you tired? <laughs> it's like one of those commercials. You watch on TV for some pill or something. Are you tired, worn out, burn out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Amen to that, right? Real rest. I don't know. What, you know, I, I want it. Walk with me. And work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Hear this out. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. If your life doesn't feel this way, then you're not living it with him. If the things that you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis don't feel like this, then we're missing something. All I'm asking you to do this today is to not sign up to some opportunity to feed the homeless tomorrow. I'm asking you to surrender your life to God and watch him lead you in the path of peace, of rest, and complete fulfillment of your call. That's what it takes. It's not the new 10 ways to, to figure out your life or five steps to get to success. No, no. It's saying God here is everything. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Do something with it because I know you've called me to something special. We know we're all busy, but there's a God that's ready to take it all. It's been said that if your burden is too heavy, is because you're carrying something you're not supposed to. And God is here saying, just surrender to me and watch what I'll do in your life. Amen? Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. You give us this responsibility, Lord, that, that, that all we have to do is just surrender to you. God, help us not to be prideful, 
Not, not to come against the things you want to do, but to die daily to the desires that may be drifting us away from the purpose and the plan that you have for our lives. Work inside all of us. You have called us all to serve you in one way or another, Lord. Let us be the servants that you've called us to be. You gave us this example of Jesus, who's such an overwhelming example. But God, right now, I pray that you would work in the hearts all over this room, that you would bring conviction to the dormant talents in the room and bring life to this group of people so that we can make an impact on your kingdom as we move forward. God, we want to do your will. So we surrender this, this afternoon, Lord, believing that what you have in store for us is better than what we, want, what, what we want for ourselves. Thank you, God, for being so good and even considering us in the plans that you have. We love you and we thank you, and we pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Give God thanks this morning. Come on.